The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, welcome back. And uh, for our fourth week of our concentration series. And is the volume good for you all? Is that any good? Good. Um, as concentration gets stronger, uh, sometimes people's hearing gets more acute. For the time being, we'll, have, use, we'll use the speaker. The, um, so before we start, people are still coming in. If, you, if any of you would like to ask any questions, you have any questions about what's been said so far or your practice at home? Yes, so... Let's see, right next to you. Um, good evening. I had a... Try, try, try again. Oh. Okay. Um, I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on a comment that you made a couple of weeks ago in regards to... Um, if you're bored during practice, you might be distracted. I, um, if, you, I if you're bored? Yes, that you might be getting distracted. Um, I don't get bored when I'm doing my mindfulness meditation, but I do during metta. Uh-huh. During metta? Yeah. Oh. And um, any, any idea why? No. No idea at all. What do you do, what, uh, what do you ha- when you're practicing mindfulness? What are you doing? What's your how do you practice mindfulness? The breath. Just uh, focusing on the breath. Yes. And uh, and when you're doing metta, you use the phrases. I use the phrases, and it's usually during the um, benefactors because I've already felt really good about them uh-huh. about them, and then over months, it's like okay, well. You done you done it for them already. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's time to find other benefactors. Okay. Metta, metta practice is, um, I think of it as being a, you have a lot of freedom to be creative. And with metta practice, you can use it for different purposes. So you could certainly use it to try to get to the bottom of the boredom and understand what's going on. But if you're trying to generate some metta and develop concentration with it, um, you know, you might just uh, figure out some more interesting person to send it to. <laughs> you know, if you've gotten bored with your benefactor. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, in other words, I mean, the, the principle that I'm uh, answering you with is uh, make it easy for yourself and creative, and don't, don't, don't. You don't have to address everything that arises. That's the challenge in metta as a challenge to go through. It's okay to just just avoid it, and because you, what you're doing is focusing on metta itself, and so you want to find where it's useful to develop the metta, and so uh, the principle of directing the metta where it's useful and helpful for you. And that can be either helpful because it's developing metta or it's helpful because you want to try to expand your heart to include that person. And with boredom, it's up to you what you do. And uh, so you could just avoid it and do something more creative. Or you could um, take a good look at, as I said, on the boredom and, uh, and, uh, and see if you can find, feel your way into what particular component element of the metta you're bored with is it the is it the person is it the words is it uh, somehow your relationship to the benefactor is a little bit complicated 
and so the complications is kind of making it a little bit, uh, you know, heavy or something. Or so it's up to you how you do it. So if you can put the mic back. I was wondering, and maybe you already addressed this, um, how do you choose which type of meditation? No, you, I, I can't quite, quite hear. But my, if you can. How do you choose which type of meditation to practice? Um, concentration or, ah. or insight? How do you choose? Yeah. Um, um, well, if you have a choice, I suppose, because you know you know both possibilities. Uh, if you're raw, if you're new and don't know anything about it, then um, uh, you generally you don't go wrong by starting with mindfulness. It's it's also often often a very good foundation for doing concentration later. So you don't go wrong that way. But if you um, have already you've been around here for a while, you know about mindfulness. Um, if you've been practicing mindfulness for a while, it can be useful to spend some time doing concentration practice to build up the concentration muscle. And that supports mindfulness when you go back to it. Uh, some people have an affinity to, for one, one over the other. And you can, it's, it's fine to follow your affinity for a while and fo- see where it goes and, and later maybe decide to review it again and say this direction continues to be good or you know, maybe it's time for a switch sometime. And, um, and the other reason is if you have a particular concern that you want to address, a particular thing that you want to do. So, for example, if you want to develop greater mindfulness in daily life, presence, attention to the, what goes on in your daily life, some people might choose to cultivate more mindfulness. However, if you look at your daily life and see, like, you're just so frazzled in your life, and that's really the problem. You know, your mind's spinning and you're kind of scattered. And so then you might decide to do concentration practice to stabilize the mind, calm it, so you can go through the day with a little bit more less scattered. Um, uh, so you might have a particular psychological issue that you want to somehow hold or bring bring attention to in a mindful way. And so that's probably more that might be more useful than to have mindfulness than to you know, concentration and ignore it or something like that. Um, some people. Um, uh, there are people who um, I've known people I've met people who've done years decades of concentration practice and then they've come to do uh, mindfulness practice on a retreat and they don't quite see the difference and explain to them and, and I say you know why don't you just kind of stop doing your concentration and just uh, see, see what's here what's going on and they'll come back with their eyes wide open and say wow <laughs> I didn't know there was so much going on. There's like all this backlog and all this. I, I didn't know who, I didn't know myself. I didn't know how I operate. I didn't know what motivates me. I didn't know my feelings, how to be with emotions, all this stuff. Because uh, it's possible to use some concentration practice as an avoidance. People get comfortable. They get blissed out a little bit, and it just—it's very promising. Some religions kind of champion bliss as being kind of almost the ultimate. So you go into these bliss states and. You know, everything's good, and as long as you're concentrated, everything's good. And you keep going back into that and back into that. 
And so to stop doing that in order to really see what's here is invaluable. But if you've been around and seen what's here quite a bit, <laughs> and you know, and you've been doing that and kind of spinning, you know, and um, sometimes doing some concentration, developing the concentration, and then coming back to seeing what's here, you can penetrate it more deeply. So, it's all, so I don't know if all those reasons are making it more complicated for you, or any of them speak to you. I don't know. You're also allowed to have fun. So whichever one seems the, you know the most fun for you, you know that because fun or interest or pleasure or something uh, is really helpful for staying focused and engaged. Yes. So <clears throat> along the same line, I think I heard last week about joy and how it makes a concentration practice if you get in touch with the joy inside of you stronger. So if you can't get in touch or if the joy is missing, does that mean you want to, is it easier to do mind or is it better to do mindfulness meditation rather than concentration? Does it? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, uh, it's possible to develop that muscle of concentration without feeling joy. Uh, but as the concentration deepens, at some point we touch into joy, and if, and then it's useful to tune into it and have it support you to go further. But you, it's it's could be useful to develop concentration without the joy if that's what's needed. That's what I wanted to. Yeah, know. yeah, it's it's fine. Thank you. It's just more it's more fun if you have the joy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the idea of, um, I know the, the first meeting you said something about pleasure and all that kind of stuff, and it just made me very nervous, very nervous because of my background, you know, the pleasure and fun, and there's just... Yeah, especially if it's of the flesh, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and it's it's supposed to be really hard and and if it isn't you're doing something wrong and this is serious don't mess around with that smiling stuff oh. and so <laughs> it it has it, it's been really a challenge for me because yeah. I get really nervous when I well oh, it's that pleasure oh my god oh my god it's pleasure well I'm supposed to so I'm I could you like talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Let, well, so yes, I, kn- I know very well that people come out of certain religious backgrounds, especially, and it's um, they've gotten this very strong message that um, pe- pleasure, physical pleasure, especially physical pleasure, is just like this is like bad, and, and uh, it's almost like a sin or something, and that it's better to suffer. You know, it's better. You're supposed to kind of really, you know kind of sacrifice yourself and give up pleasure and austerities are really good yes. and um, that's how you're holy that's how you're spiritual yeah. that's how you're close to God yeah, because yeah. you're offering up all that suffering for whatever and you have, know. You, have you gotten closer to God that way? Oh, I, I, I never did feel it it was more fear than anything else yeah, probably God you know like anybody else God likes to be around people who it's fun to be with <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
so you know, so you know. I need a little flashcard. So I, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and if you're smiling, you know, it, it's, it's probably more interesting for God. <laughs> the um, anyway, so yes, I understand this, and and um, I don't want to be disrespectful of another religion, but I know that people, some people, really suffer quite a bit under these kinds of teachings, and so they kind of deny themselves, or they, like you said, they get afraid, or they feel something's wrong if they touch, get close to that. And this kind of meditation practice then can, can bring up that challenge for some people. I've seen it before. And um, because sooner or later, if you really get concentrated or really get into it, some forms of pleasure will begin bubbling up and then, ah, you know, the fear comes up. And uh, working with fear for that and for many other reasons is part of the path of meditation. So it's helpful if you don't think of fear as a mistake or as wrong, but that's the next step to looking now and got to work with the fear and it helps to hold the fear with kindness, to look at it kindly. Uh, one of the most important things for, I think, many times for a, med- a meditative approach is um, very different than almost any other approach. And that is in meditation, uh, you want to help your fear feel safe. So how can you help your fear feel safe? So you're not trying to fix it or get rid of it or make it a problem or feel ashamed of it. Uh, just, okay, you know, and uh, I, I love the image of bringing your hands together, cupping your hands together like this, like you're going to pick something up and hold it gently and nice. Can you turn that off? Your what, yours? Let's see. Oh, that's just a truck outside? Oh, that was kind of fun. <laughs> Um, so you hold your, your, your hands, you know, kind of, you hold your mind like your hands like this, and then just come underneath the fear and just hold it. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. Tell it's okay. Mm-hmm. And it, but as soon as you, you feel like you have to fix it or get rid of it, the poor fear is going to feel even more afraid. And then it can relax if it feels safe. So that's, you know, that's, you know kind, of, kind of a nutshell kind of, or a certain way of presenting, you know, the mindfulness approach to fear. And um, so I respect it and realize you're up against something that can be quite big because it's this early childhood conditioning around this. Um, the, um, uh, sometimes, uh, uh, because it, it's this powerful authority figure of a religion and you know, that, that carries a lot of weight. And so it might be helpful if I kind of sit, sit up straight and assume all of my ecclesiastical authority here at IMC and tell you, Mary, that it's okay for you to experience joy and pleasure in your meditation. So, one more here. What do I make of it? No, I'm not sure what to make of it. Oh, what to make of it. Um, 
I think if it's happening in meditation, these kinds of things, uh, the best thing to do is not to make anything of it, but to, but to just to uh, recognize that it's happening and let it be that way. Um, but you know, to help give it some context, um, as we go, as the surface mind quiets down, we can start seeing sometimes what's bubbling up from the deeper mind. And so there's a variety of things that can happen there. One of them is that um, uh, things that are unresolved from a long time ago can return. That they can't occur, return as long as we're preoccupied and have the lid on, in a sense. And some of those things, um, unresolved or you know, old memories, some of those are, can be actually be good memories. Sometimes people don't necessarily repress them, but they've forgotten it, or they could somehow it never really... It's there in the background, but because we're living our life busy, we kind of forget about it. And those return sometimes in meditation. And that happened to me. I started remembering really nice memories when I was young, as well as difficult memories. And, and so the unresolved things can bubble up, and so we have a chance to kind of finish it or complete it or let it empty out somehow. And that's part of the, it's called the purification process. And that can be quite difficult at times, and sometimes you know this difficult material can come. And sometimes what happens in meditation is that uh, the ordinary uh, structures, conceptual structures by which we hold our life together and our reality together, begin to quiet down or settle down, and we don't ha- we don't engage them so much. And so the mind mind is a constructive organ; it constructs a picture of the world for us and ourselves and organizes our life and if we close our eyes and have an image of our own body that image is being created in the mind you know it's um, and you know put together by all the pieces you know we've ideas we have and um, and so sometimes that constructive activity quiets down in the mind and and um, and the mind still is trying to construct but it's uh, and so then sometimes the thoughts can be kind of wild and strange it's kind of like half half form thoughts and uh, images come and they go and it's not, don't, they don't quite make any sense because it's not really bringing those to completion. That's going to happen sometimes. Sometimes when the mind gets very calm and quiet and concentrated and we kind of get close into a, almost like a hypnagogic state where it's kind of like sleepy or something and sometimes um, usually a very pleasant state and very relaxed and the mind, the, the practice, the, the attention we're using starts getting a little, little bit too casual or complacent because it's so comfortable. Um, then sometimes people start having a lot of imagery, like dreamlike imagery. And it doesn't really make sense, some of it, but it's usually pleasant. Uh, I remember the first, one of the first times it happened to me in meditation, uh, I was following my breath, my breathing, and I was going along. I'd done it for quite a while, and and uh, it was late in the evening, so I was kind of tired anyway. And, um, and uh, in front of me there arose like a stage with actors and actresses. And they were doing this whole scene, you know, of things. I had no idea what it was about. But the uh, kind of, the, why I was caught in it or kind of, was that somehow or other, I can't tell you how or why, uh, I had this distinct impression that following my breath was the same as following these characters on the stage. It was all kind of became one big, one unified kind of thing. And so I you know, thought I was with my breathing, but maybe I was kind of, but I was more kind of with the this, this strange scene on the stage. And, and um, 
So it's, it's, it happens often when we get really, and it's usually a, uh, an antidote for that in meditation is to apply a little bit more energy, to brighten the mind. It's usually a sign the mind is, is, it's called a sinking mind. And if the mind sinks too much, then that's, this happens. So there's a whole series of things that can happen. And, but the first thing I said is actually quite significant. Don't make anything of it. In other words, don't, don't be bothered by it. Don't react to it. You don't have to have a theory about it. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to come to conclusions or predictions about it. Um, really what you want to do is to learn not to get caught by it and involved in it. Okay, so that's also a nice segue to uh, how I wanted to begin this evening. It's a different angle to say maybe something I said before. If we have the idea that concentration is to center the mind on something, and so the mind is centered and can... I like, I like the idea of the mind resting there as opposed to, you know, uh, boring into something. It's just the mind kind of comes to rest at a center uh, with the breathing or something else is a center. And, um, and so, but often it's very hard for us to be centered, you know, and have contact and be grounded in some kind of center of focus. And so uh, what uh, sometimes happens is uh, we're in orbit around the focus, uh, we're we're in orbit around. An orbit around means we're having discursive thoughts about the practice, about the focus, about what we're doing. Oh, I I didn't do that quite right. I breathed, but I missed that end of the out breath, and that wasn't really good. And now I'm starting to have pleasure, and I was, I'm not so sure I was supposed to have pleasure after what Gil said today. And it was you know, and and you know, and this and that, and and we're kind of having thoughts about the practice and what's going on. So it can seem like we're focused in here, but we're really in orbit around it. We're not really la- haven't landed and made contact. And then uh, sometimes we're just um, you know our rocket ship has just gone to space, you know, and where discursive thoughts has nothing to do with the present moment and the present moment focus. It's just like you know we're thinking about yesterday or the past or something. And so you know much of the time we're kind of from the point of view of meditation we're kind of like far removed from our direct experience and so we're uh, wandering off into space and then we're trying to gather ourselves together and the first gathering together is is maybe to start having our thoughts think about the breathing if that's the focus think about the meditation think about setting up the body so the body is centered and so you've, you have a posture and what's up how, how can I sit right now what's happening with my posture you can have those kinds of thoughts. And how can I get more grounded? How can I set up the body and the torso and the spine so maybe I'll be a little more alert and easier to breathe so I can really feel the breathing better? So these kinds of questions, you're kind of in orbit, you're circling around it, but you're using it to kind of gather yourself and focus. And, and then you might have, say, well, where should I be? Where should I focus on the breathing today? And you might notice, well, it's predominant in my chest. So maybe that's where I'll do it. Usually I do my belly, but the chest seems predominant. And so let me feel, and how is it there? Oh, look at that. As I breathe in, I feel a little tension at the top of the in-breath. It's like I'm held or a little bit stuck there, a little held breath. And then as I breathe out, look at that. There's a long out-breath. And then, wow, there's a little pause. So those are all examples of very simple rudimentary thoughts. 
And they're kind of in orbit, but they're a close orbit, those kinds of things, as opposed to a far orbit, which is, wow, that was a bad breath. How could I breathe like that? I'm supposed to have a better breath when I meditate, and I hope no one else noticed. You know, that's, you know, gets more and more further away. But, you know, you might begin by having very simple thoughts, and then um, the idea of kind thoughts. You know, okay, okay, Gil. You know, here you are, you've had a, di- a difficult day, a, a lot of activity. Of course, you're kind of a little bit tight in your chest. Of course, you're a little bit, uh, you know, not breathing so smoothly as you would. So what about uh, just kind of holding it kindly here and, you know, and having some compassion here and let's just hold it lightly and let's, be in a, let be, let's not be in a hurry today. Today is a good day to not be in a hurry to try to get someplace and, so, you know, it might not be that active as I'm doing now, but there's a kind of rudimentary thoughts that's kind of getting you centered, getting you focused, um, getting you, you know, arriving here. And sometimes that's very helpful because it kind of is, an, is a counter to the in, lost in space thoughts. They have nothing to do with it or the far orbit thoughts. You're gathering yourself together. You're getting interested. You're pointing here. You're establishing a different uh, focus for your interest and your attention through very simple thoughts. And that might be a different message than some people get about meditation where you're not supposed to think at all. And, uh, and so with that message, then you would just be the victim of your thoughts. You know, your thoughts would take you away and they do whatever they do. But this way you're, you're harnessing your thoughts uh, and helping them... Uh, Go, helping them to support you for the task at hand, what you're trying to do. And then at some point, you don't need to, you don't need to do that anymore. And so at some point, you kind of, you're landed, and you're here, or you're close enough, you're really here. And the focus doesn't become any more on gathering your thoughts to focus the attention, the interest, what's going on. But now the focus is on uh, resting in the experience, staying there, being steady, having a steady gaze or a steady presence. Um, so if you're on the breathing, for example, that you'd hold it there, be there with it, stay, stay on the breath. And a hugely important part of concentration practice is in fact the idea of just holding your attention on one thing. Though The word holding uh, can maybe evoke a sense of tension, you know, tightness of you know, holding. So that's why I like the word resting Uh, on the experience. Or I like the different language works for different people. I also very much like the language of receiving the experience. So rather than you being steady, you allow the the experience to be steady with you, steady in awareness. So it's more receptive rather than, because otherwise you you know there's holding or there's tight or whatever. And so then there's, and then we don't have to think so much because we're just right there. But there still might be some very, very simple, maybe one-word thoughts. Some people don't even recognize it as thoughts because it's such a quiet, kind of underground quality of the place of the mind. But it might be simple thoughts like pressure, movement, steady, centered, not centered, come back, stay, Yes. Oh, yes, this is good. Oh, there's pleasure. That's nice. So it's, you know, it's, it's a very simple recognition of what's happening in the moment. 
And, uh, and so if it's, you're conscious of these very, very simple thoughts, the, the art of it is to watch and see what the effect those thoughts have on you. If they make their mind busier and start thinking more and more, then um, you, that's probably not helpful for you. But it, you're trying to use your thoughts very simply to help the mind get quieter and steady and more interested to be, stay right there, stay right there, be with it. Don't wander off, come back, don't wander off, come back, stay there, stay there. To make some sense? So I thought we would do a meditation, and uh, meditation on the breathing. And, it, and some of this in the beginning will be an exercise that um, I'll warn you ahead of time that might not work for some of you. And, um, and so I ask you, if it doesn't work for you, don't come to any conclusions about anything. Uh, just uh, accept that, oh, that didn't work, and just shrug your shoulders and, you know, just don't, don't think, think about it too much any, anymore. But the, the idea is to do this, um, and it's, it's a particular way of breathing, that as you breathe, uh, as you f- if you follow these directions, if you do too much of it or work, t- work too hard at this, you might feel like you're not getting enough breath or you feel like you have to breathe more too deeply or feel anxious about it. So you can always adjust. You don't have to follow the directions, but um, the exercise has something to do with this gathering together of attention of interest so that we can start being more focused on the breathing, interested in the breathing, um, and, be- and kind of begin putting down the, all the interests that you bring with you from your day today. You know, the mind you know, has all preoccupations, concerns, and, and so, so you're trying to kind of bring yourself to in the center to be able to rest with the breathing, and then we'll go from there. So taking a meditation posture that you give some care to, that it's a posture that expresses alertness or attention, or a posture that where you really feel that the posture expresses being rooted here. You're really here. So you might feel your sitting bones on the chair or the cushion, your feet or your legs on the floor. And you might even with your feet and the legs very gently push into the floor a little bit to really feel the contact. And in that pressure, be reminded you're here. This is the place where the lived experience of life for you is right now. And gently close your eyes and take a few long, slow breaths, long, deep breaths. And as you exhale, perhaps letting go of your day, letting go of your thoughts and concerns the best you can. As you exhale, relaxing the thinking muscle, the pressure of your concerns You can soften that. And then letting your breath return to normal. 
And to do the seven-part body scan, relaxation, to feel this, your scalp, the top of your head, and feel whatever sensations there are there. And as you exhale, to relax the scalp and the top of the head. To feel your face, the muscles of your face. To feel whatever's there in an open, relaxed way. No need to judge it or... And then as you exhale, to soften and relax the muscles of the face. To feel what's in in the shoulders. And as you exhale, to soften the shoulders. To feel the arms and the hand. And as you exhale, to relax the arms, the hands. To feel the rib cage, maybe front and back. And as you exhale, to soften and relax the rib cage. To feel the whole belly area diaphragm down to the pelvic floor. Feel what's there. And as you exhale, to soften in the belly. Soften, relax the belly, and let gravity help it to settle. And then to feel the legs and the feet. And as you exhale, to soften muscles of the legs, the thighs, the calves. And to relax the feet. perhaps releasing the legs to gravity. And then to do this exercise with the breathing Gather yourself together, your attention, and become aware of the body breathing. And it might be useful to feel, to experience the body breathing in the torso, the chest or the belly. And noticing that, that when you 
when you breathe in, the experience of the chest or the belly, the sensations are different than when you breathe out. And maybe one of them, the inhalation or the exhalation, is longer in time than the other. And then as you exhale, when you get to the end of the exhale, pause before you breathe in again. And pause just long enough that you can feel the biological urge to breathe in. Pause at the end of the out-breath long enough so that breathing becomes much more interesting for you than anything else you could be thinking about. And then allow yourself to breathe in. And whatever, however long a pause that feels comfortable for you, let there be a, for, for a little while, a pause at the end of the out-breath. So you really feel the pull, the interest, the urgency to breathe in. So you're really there with your breathing. You might do the same at the end of the in-breath. When you finish breathing in, you might pause there also, just long enough that you feel really interested to exhale. You can stop doing the pause and stay interested in the breathing. Your breathing is phenomenally important for life, for yourself. Breathing is kind of a nexus of all of our life. To feel that meeting place, that nexus, that 
center of our life and breathing. Really take in the experience of breathing in, exhaling, as it's felt and sensed and experienced in the chest or the belly. Or if it's preferable for you, you can now do it at the nostril. And see if you can experiment a little bit with holding your attention steady on the breathing. So in a sense, sense, that's much more interesting for you. You bring your interest there. And disinvest, divest your interest from being in orbit or being in space with your thoughts. Bring the concentric circles of interest closer and closer to just breathing until your awareness, your attention rests on breathing. Like maybe a piece of wood would float on top of the ocean and go up and down on the waves. So your awareness, in a sense, goes up and down in the rhythm of the waves of your breathing. And as a support for all this, the idea of letting the attention, the awareness uh, arise in the body, in the place where you're breathing, where you feel your breathing. So you're not so much in the control tower, watching, looking. It's almost like awareness is in the experience of breathing, in the sensing in the experience. And with your mind, (laughs) softly, gently, hold yourself steady, riding the waves of breath, breathing in and breathing out. Letting all concerns and other thoughts recede into the background. Divesting them of your interest. And so this wonderful life interest of attention stays with breathing.
and perhaps the thinking mind can even get quiet because you feel, you, you understand how valuable it is, how special it is to attend to your breathing, to connect to breathing, just, just the simplicity of breathing. And maybe there's now a natural a quarter of a second, tenth of a second pause at the end of the out-breath. Or a tenth of a second pause at the end of the in-breath. And when the in-breath begins, kind of you follow the whole in-breath from the beginning to the end of it. You follow the exhale from the beginning to the end. Allowing the mind to become quieter so you can more be more sensitive in how you feel the experience of breathing. As you get to the end of your exhale, perhaps you can have a very simple, small relaxation letting go. So the exhale goes a little bit further, not because you're pushing or trying, but because you let go into the out-breath. Maybe even at the end of the in-breath, there can be something like a little letting go that by itself, the in-breath just continues a little bit more. And allowing, not a forcing, And then very gently, with a very light touch, can you be aware of any pleasure or any good feelings, nice feelings, that seem directly somehow connected to the breathing, the focus on the breathing. Maybe there's some kind of pleasure or loveliness in the experience of breathing itself.
Or maybe there's something, some loveliness of feeling and pleasure elsewhere in your body where you feel lighter or maybe more tingly or softer. If there is any pleasure or contentment or joy, delight, however mild, that seems somehow supportive of the focus on breathing, stay with your breathing. Feel the pleasure, the delight the contentment. And perhaps there's a softening of the body, a little softening and maybe beginnings of a little nice energy, vibration, energy, sense of flow that maybe can spread throughout your body as you continue to breathe mindfully, focusing on the breath, being with the breathing. Almost like the rhythm of breathing is like a bellows blowing on a fire. As you breathe, is there any kind of good feelings in your body, good energy that you can kind of spread through your body, pervade your body? your mind wanders off away from the breathing. Then remember to begin again. Return back. Applying attention to the breathing. And then seeing if you can stay there, rest there. Be steady on your breathing. And the more steady you can be, maybe the more you can allow there to be a softening and a good feeling spread through your body. And some of you might do what I suggested last week, is to have 
a teeny kind of half smile. Corners of your lips go up a little bit. And see if you can feel or sense any pleasure that comes from that. Not only around the lips or the face, but maybe elsewhere too. Breathe with the pleasure. Breathe in and breathe out. And perhaps it's supportive to allow the breathing to breathe you. So you're not so involved in breathing, but you're the recipient of breathing. Breathing is breathing you. Breathing breathes itself. And you can receive or rest with experience of breathing. And perhaps you can be aware of the rhythm of breathing, experience of breathing, moving through silence, moving through a field of stillness, softness, as the mind becomes softer, Letting the mind become stiller, quieter. As if breathing is the whole universe. As if this, the breathing is the most important thing of the moment. The heart of the universe is your breathing.
And then to end this sitting, you might once again take a few long, slow, deep breaths so you can more fully feel your body. Feel the contact of your body against your chair, your cushion. There's a reminder that you're here in IMC in this room. And that when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So in uh, Buddhism, there are a variety of uh, state shifts, ways in which states of the mind shifts as we deepen in concentration. And these shifts are sometimes happen kind of like a slide, we just kind of slide from one to the other. And sometimes they happen like quantum shifts, like just suddenly, boom wow, I'm going to just drop in, kind of. Different ways for different people. And um, sometimes these uh, shifts are called, you know, some people will call them altered states of consciousness or something. But um, if you're familiar with these and hang out in these a little bit, um, they seem pretty, they're nice, but they're not, from their perspective, it's ordinary the ordinary mind, which is pretty weird. You know, that's the one that maybe is altered. You know, it's kind of relative, what do we call altered? And, you know, and walk, walking around in your ordinary street mind and filled with resentments and preoccupations, fantasies, that's just as much an altered state as any other state. All states are altered. <laughs> but some people because they're so used to a particular state, the norm, what's so-called ordinary state, their, their ordinary state, when there are these state shifts, they can be disorienting, even frightening, because that's not how they, their ordinary states of mind is how they organize their life, make themselves safe in their world, is how they identify themselves, is who they know they are. And when the whole mind state shifts, some people, it takes a while to kind of, you know, trust it and relax into it and allow it to, this mind to change. So Buddhism describes a variety of different states and um, it begins by no longer being caught up in distractions. And in particular, it's the distractions of uh, what's called the five hindrances. I think I mentioned those the other day. And when they they no longer uh, captivate our attention, and they abate and quiet down. And the mind starts becoming able to rest and stay on its focus of concentration, maybe the breathing. Uh, And the mind begins to be quiet. Not completely quiet, but it's beginning to get quiet. That's sometimes called uh, um, access concentration because it gives us access to these deeper state shifts. 
Sometimes it's called neighborhood concentration because you're in the neighborhood of this deeper shifts. You're getting close. And um, so the hindrances stop. You know, they're no longer there. And then what's fascinating in the instructions from the Buddha, a lot of the instructions at this point have to do with uh, experiencing states like delight, joy, contentment, uh, peacefulness, happiness, these wonderful states. And it's, uh, they're all pleasant and all form of pleasure. But these, uh, in terms of what was brought up earlier, they're not exactly uh, the same as uh, pleasures of the flesh. It's not like you're getting massage or getting ice cream or, you know, it's a really an upwelling from inside. And the language is not so much pleasure anymore, uh, but it's more like joy and happiness and, and uh, sometimes you use the word gladness. And the first form of gladness or delight or happiness that we can allow ourselves, maybe it's something we train ourselves to do a little bit, and that is um, uh, to feel the delight or the happiness or the joy or the appreciation that we're no longer caught up in distractions. And that can take a long time to, you know, we practice and practice and we get pulled off in thought, pulled off in thought. But finally, to have the mind quiet enough, <coughs> quiet enough, still enough, that it has no interest anymore to go off into the hindrances or off into distraction. And it's like easier to stay present than it is to wander off. And some people report that they're, they're really he- pretty settled in here and the mind might wander off, but uh, it's almost like the rubber band attached to your distracted th- thoughts. And you go out a little bit, then you get pulled back. So rather than the distractions being the, the strongest force that takes you away, the strongest force is to remain here. And the distractions might begin, but they don't get very far. You come back. And you're, or it's like, I think of it like a bowl. And, uh, you know, and you might be able to push the ball up the side of the bowl, but if, you know, it, you know, you'll push it a little bit, you'll give it a little push. And it won't go very far before it comes back down to the to this bottom of the bowl. Uh, whereas if you have a lot of energy in that, in the momentum of the, it's stronger than gravity and it'll go right over the top of the, of the bowl and off into space. And, uh, but if you, you know, if it gets weaker and weaker, that push, then gravity is strong enough and it brings you right back to the center, so to here. And so there's a, a happiness. <coughs> cool, this is wonderful to have this. What a relief. And the sense of relief, wow, I'm here, I've arrived. And so there can be a kind of gladness or happiness that can come from that. And the instructions are to allow yourself to feel that gladness, to feel that satisfaction and delight. Isn't that great? You're instructed to feel the gladness. It's part of the process. But uh, but in particular, but don't indulge in it experience, allow yourself to feel it just enough that you can uh, help you to, like an encouragement, stay there, really stay. Root yourself in the experience, in the breathing. Don't let the mind even 
you know, uh, waver its slightest bit. Hold steady, just to be just there with the breathing. And um, and and then as we go further in, then we start having these state shifts. And the language that the the Buddha used is that we enter. It's like entering into a new state. We enter, and then he talks about abiding. And I love the word abiding. I don't know what you think of it. But abiding to me is like resting. It's like you're, you're really kind of in a, you belong there, it's, you abide there, you rest there, you're kind of, you know, you know you're there. And you're just, and, and not, you're not, when you abide, you don't do a lot. It's not like you enter and run around. You enter and you abide. It's kind of like you sit down and just, you're just there like a monarch. Monarchs abide. And so you're like royalty and you sit there and you just be there. And and, um, and so the, uh, entering these, these altered states, so-called, these state shifts. And the first one is called uh, uh, the first jhana. The word jhana uh, comes from the ancient Indic word for uh, something to do with to burn. And uh, I think best to have a kind of a positive associations with this idea of burn. Um, and the, I think one of the connotations is that of a candle flame that's burning, but the, there's no wind, so the flame is completely still, but dynamic. And, um, and so uh, it's really easy to stay with the breathing and one continues making the effort to come back, stay, come back, stay, apply, be there, be there, stay. But it's really easy. It's like almost second nature to do that. There might be a little bit of movement away, but you're there, there, there. And um, what begins to happen, it really feels like a state shift because not only are it's easy to stay and massage the the breath with your awareness, stay there, be with it, connect to it, but there starts feeling uh, sensations of uh, joy or well-being, happiness begin kind of surfacing. You know, it's, sometimes it's a feeling of lightness. The body starts feeling very light. Sometimes warmth. Sometimes tingling. Sometimes a lovely feeling kind of through parts of the body. It just feels like loveliness. Your, your torso, your ribcage, it just feels like loveliness as you breathe. Uh, sometimes it's uh, in the face. And the face or the muscles of around the, uh, the forehead or the cheeks can get a little bit, feel like they're getting warm or kind of tingly and all kinds of nice things can happen. And, um, and so the Buddha has an, has an analogy for this and it's beautiful, these analogies the Buddha gives for these, these state shifts because it gives you a little bit of feeling of what's going on. He said it's like, um, and, and most of them have some relationship to water, these analogies. And uh, I, I don't know if, you know, maybe I'm making too much of it, but I think like in Jungian psychology where they have, you know, all these dream symbols and all that, that uh, water sometimes is uh, symbolic for the consciousness. And uh, so anyway, so the Buddha uses water. And so you take water and you, and to, I'll, I'll make this example a little bit more modern, but uh, you take water and you sprinkle it on, fl- on flour. And then you knead the, the water into the flour to make dough. 
and you want the, the you want the liquid to be saturated throughout the flower so it's evenly spread out throughout it. If you end up with too much water, maybe you want to get more flour, right, to make it just right consistency. So it's soft and and uh, malleable, and and then you would need the dough. You kind of need it. You know, you massage it, push it in, and squeeze it, and push it down, and you know, and um, until the moisture is uh, pervades all the flour. No particles of flour are not moist. So here, the the uh, the kneading of the flour is analogous to um, this initial application of attention, where we put our attention there, and then sustaining it there. So you you touch the dough and then you push it to knead it somehow. And so there's constant kind of staying there. It's a little bit of work. Stay there, stay there. Come on, stay there, stay there. Just be there. Uh, that you know, you might even have very, very rudimentary, nice thoughts about. Yeah, just stay with your breath. Be there. Yes. Be there. Yes. Oh yeah. And so you kind of use these very simple thoughts that really stay there. Yeah, be there. Come on. Come on. Stay. Don't go away. Stay there. Be there. And then. Um, and the idea that it's uh, uh, the water is saturated throughout the flower, so there starts to be some good feelings, some delight, happy you're not caught up in distractions anymore after 10 years of meditating. It feels finally, you know, it's, God, this is good. And so then you um, start feeling that delight or joy or gladness, satisfaction that comes from that. Feel the good, feel, lovely feelings, the good feelings that might be there. And um, and the Buddha said you'd, you'd feel them and you would spread them throughout the whole body. So you and this is a, I think a very useful thing. The idea of it's kind of you can't do that unless the body is relaxed. But you kind of kind of spread the good energy, let it grow or spread or imagine it goes out to the ends of the feet and arms and legs and so the whole body is kind of feel has this nice feeling. Don't don't try to make it too nice, because then you're, you know, you have high expectation. But just nice enough, but you kind of spread and you know make it go. And then if you, uh, and that's the uh, in talking about going through these deeper states of concentration, the Buddha uh, treated it as if it's a natural process that uh, unfolds on its own. If our job and the instructions of what we're supposed to do, surprisingly, for many of us, I think, to hear this, is to feel the joy and the happiness and the well-being. Really feel it well. Take it in. The Buddha, in his ecclesiastical authority, encouraged us, allowed us. This is good. He said. This. He actually said specifically. The Buddha said, "This kind of pleasure is not to be feared." So he was ready for you. <laughs> and um, so, uh, and so, to, uh, so the instructions are to feel it really well. And that's part of the entry into the present moment. And some <coughs> it can be a lot easier to be interested, really be in the present, if it's pleasant, right? I mean, if it's painful and a drag, and it's be, it can be a little bit harder, quite a bit harder. And then, for the Buddha, then there's this state shift, and we enter into and abide in the second 
jhana, the second burning, second absorb. Sometimes it's called absorption in English, because we're getting more absorbed in just this, only this. The, like the external world kind of recedes from our consciousness, and we're just really here in this process. And uh, this one is characterized by the intensification of joy. Um, and, uh, and sometimes it gets so and so so intense that some people will call it rapture, ecstasy, um, different things, but joy. And there's five kinds. Of the, these ancient texts talk about five different types of joy that can start happening in this intensification process. There's minor joy. There is momentary joy, just little sparks of joy that happen for a moment. There's cascading joy. <laughs> that can feel like just waves are pouring over you, just, you know, like waves are just... I was um, concentrated like this on a retreat once and I went to lunch. And um, and so I had my food, I sat down, just sitting down with the tables enough to get back into my, close to my concentration state I was in. And, and so if you're really in these states, then sometimes... Um, any focus of attention puts you further into the concentration. So the focus of my attention was to put my spoon into the soup or whatever the food and lift it up towards my, my, my mouth. And I would be just like, like, it felt like a huge wave of rapture would just cascade through me. And I had to, oh, I, I had to put the fork down. It was just too much. And then I'll try again. And uh, so it took a long time to eat. So the cascading, and then there's uplifting joy, where it feels like you're just being lifted up, like almost like some people say it feels it feels for some people like almost like they're flying. It's just such lightness and joy and feeling airy. And uh, and then the last one is um, is pervading joy. So that now the joy is really just a steady pervasion of joy throughout the body. And um, and so different people at different times start feeling this intensification of this. And that becomes more the focus point or the main kind of thing. Might still be focusing on the breath, but this other kind of joy is beginning to, to occur. The analogy that Buddha used for this is, uh, and you get the sense from this analogy of, of movement, of kind of a, uh, this flow of joy or something, is that of a of a mountain lake where there's no rivers coming into it and there's no rain. So it's not getting any uh, input. I think they talk about there's not five rivers coming in and no rain. And there's no input coming in through the senses. So you're not really involved in hearing or seeing or smelling or anything like that. So nothing's coming in to stimulate you from there because your mind is absorbed. And um, and also there's no rain. I'm not sure what it means, but I think it means all the thoughts and ideas that stimulate us. That um, so we're not the lake's not being having being fed from the outside, but instead there's a, a natural spring at the center of the lake where the water's coming in and like a like an under underwater fountain, and it's coming up like a big fountain, you know, spraying. And so sometimes this energy of joy. This rapture can feel like this has this feel like a movement. It's sometimes people describe it as a thrill. It's very energized. It's really great. Uh, some people say it's 
you know, better than an orgasm. It's really going well. It usually lasts longer. And uh, it's really flowing nicely. And the, um, the, um, it's pretty common for people to get excited by it. Wow. If you get too excited, you lose the concentration. Some people get frightened. Some people get attached because of so much. That's ecstasy. And some people will, uh, will um, after a while, get tired of it. Like it's the best thing going on the planet when it starts. But it's actually, if you keep doing it more and more and more, it's like gets old. It's like, oh, not again. It's, just, it's tiring. It's energetic. It's just too much. And, and so surprisingly, after a while, and so, so but the idea here also, you know, the only instruction the Buddha gives is allow yourself to feel that joy and pervade it, pervade it through your body. Pervade the joy throughout your body. So that's, that's the only instruction he gives. Isn't that pretty cool? And then it says, at some point you will enter and abide in the third jhana. So now the mind, each of these uh, phases, the mind gets stiller and quieter, deeper. And it's a feeling of real intimacy and, and kind of, you know, some people like a coming home or stillness or safety. And uh, or a kind of confidence or purity goes on. Really, some people have a really sense of inner, feeling very clean inside. Because all the little, you know, foibles or greeds or animosities we have just are not going to appear at all. And, um, and so then what happens is that joy, this thrill of the joy, as we move into the third jhana, the thrill, the energe- energetic quality, especially the mental energy of th- being the thrill, the delight of all this rapture, quiets down. And what's left is something that's more sublime, that feels a lot better, that feels deeper, it feels more embodied. In retrospect, you realize that, that the rapture had kind of a mental energy to it. And uh, now there's happiness. And the happiness feels like a deeper, quieter uh, uh, feeling, kind of embodied feeling of well-being. Uh, and then the instructions are to f- spread and feel spread that and pervade that sense of happiness and well-being throughout the body. The analogy the Buddha used for this is a lake, again, that's completely quiet and calm. So there's no movement in it whatsoever. Refreshing, pure, clear pond that has lots of lotus flowers in it. And apparently in India, some of the lotus flowers can bloom, I guess, underwater. Anyway, that's the analogy he uses. And he talks about there's red and blue and different colored lotus flowers. And and all of them are, uh, and no parts of (coughs) of the flowers are not touched, not being touched by the water. So here, if water is this kind of happiness, no part, everything is still and quiet, very deep quiet, like a still water. And it's all these beautiful things, flowers. There's still things here. There's something really beautiful and wonderful here. But it's all pervaded by a sense of well-being, of happiness. 
just resting in this happiness. And the instructions again are pervade and feel that sense of happiness. Isn't that trippy? It's like I mean, this is like I mean, I mean you're going to start thinking the Buddhists are hedonistic. And um, and so then do that well, then um, there's a deeper settling that happens. And um, oh, I didn't say this, but as you go from the first to the second, what's what is get let go of is that initial and sustained attention, that massaging, that the little bit of work it takes to stay present. There's no more work, and we're just there. So we the the work is let go of the initialness of, of to go from the second to third. What's let go of, what drops away, is the joy. And if you just tell someone, I lost my joy, you know, usually that's a bad news, but, you know, this is good news now because then you get to experience this deeper happiness. <laughs> and then, um, and the Buddha said in this third uh, jhana, third absorption, um, there's equanimity and purity of mindfulness. That's kind of, people who are practicing mindfulness, to come into experience of pure mindfulness, you know, what's that? That's, you know, there's mindfulness and there's pure mindfulness in the third jhana. And then, um, and so then we're moving into the fourth. And to move into the fourth, what has to drop away is the happiness. Now you can imagine some people don't want that. However, at some point, it feels like this is enough. At some point it feels like, you know, I'm really ready to move on here. It doesn't feel you know, really like this is the place to hang out anymore. And, um, and sometimes, you know, it, it, uh, it just happens on its own, this process, if we're sincere and dedicated and do the practice well. Sometimes this going step by step, some teachers will give specific instructions for each one to kind of support that movement. And then, uh, but then you go enter and abide in the fourth jhana. So happiness is let go of, and uh, and then any movement of pleasure and pain has receded, and the mind abides in equanimity. So in a, in a wonderful, wonderful, quiet, very peaceful, tranquil mind state that feels completely equanimous, in a way that is not dull or aloof or uninteresting. It's like one of the most sublime and beautiful states to be in. If I call it a non-reactivity of the mind, it's an unruffled mind. Nothing can happen to ruffle that mind, to agitate it. Things might, little bit things might occur, but it just, but not much happens there. Um, uh, by that, by this time, uh, many people uh, are not. There's really no sounds, no thoughts. There might be very little sense of the body. The body's very diffuse if it's there at all. A uh, lot of stillness, a lot of peace. The mind, at this, by this point, has become um, um, uh, unblemished, wieldy, malleable, steady, rid of imperfections, soft. It's beautiful, you know, the, now the analogy the Buddha gives for this is uh, 
someone who has come out of, he doesn't, I'm filling in a little bit, but um, I'll hope they get away with it. Um, so the part I'll fill in or add to it is, so someone's been in this wonderful lake and they've gotten completely clean. And maybe you've had a time when you took a bath or a shower and it felt just so good and to be, it's like you felt renewed and new in your skin. It's like the freshness of it all and cleanly. And you, so the person comes out of this and then this is where the Buddha picks it up. Where you start, and you wrap yourself completely in a completely pure, new, completely clean cotton blanket. And no part of your body is not enveloped in this. And when I think of this example he has, it's completely covered by this white, this white, white sheet. I think of this, I think I might have said this earlier, but this wonderful feeling I had of putting our bed sheets over, when I was a little kid, over the kitchen table and going underneath and being all safe and cozy there. But it wasn't just being safe. There was something about the morning light coming into the kitchen and light coming through that. And the, light, the light inside there, the white, was so clean and clear and this white and pure and settled and safe. And I just was so cozy there. So the Buddha has this idea, just cover yourself and you're sitting there, clean and pure and simple, safe. You know, you're completely covered, maybe in ancient India, you're completely covered so that the flies don't land on you. You know, anyway, something. The flies of your thoughts. And um, so these are the f- these four major state shifts. And um, there's a n- lot of neurotic desires for this. A lot of a neurotic striving that people have. A lot of ways in which people are afraid of it. Um, people who feel like this is really can't be spirituality because it's so 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 intense. And um, but for the Buddha, the point wasn't to isn't to have pleasure, to have joy and happiness. The point is to help the mind. Uh, become malleable, wieldy, steady, um, pure, soft, in such a way <clears throat> that the it's easier for the mind to open up completely, to let go. When the mind is hard, when the mind is a lot of pressure, compulsion, when there's a lot of uh, tightness in the mind, the mind is frozen, locked in on something in our concerns, you know, it's hard to let go. You can't let go. And you can't even see very clearly what's going on. It's kind of like it obscures the mind's ability to see. But when the mind opens up, the mind gets soft, then it provides optimal conditions for really seeing what's going on here having insight, deep insight into our life. But an insight that's received or, or experienced by a mind that's so soft, by this time has very little attachments anyway, right? So whatever remnants of attachments that are there can let go. And that's the purpose of, uh, that's the noble purpose of concentration. Not for its own sake, but how it sets the ideal conditions 
for this deeper letting go. Each, each of these four different jhanas can function to support deep letting go. You don't have to necessarily go to the fourth, fourth one, but each one can be a stepping stone. For different people, you can let go at different points. For people who do mindfulness practice only, the mindfulness has to be so strong that concentration comes along that you're kind of in the territory of these absorptions with the mind. It's very comparable, the mind has to be, for the mindfulness practice to really do its work as well. Because you have to have a mind that's not locked and tight. Uh, and the mind has to, you have to soften. And that's why the concentration practice has a lot to do, not only, but has a lot to do with being relaxed, staying relaxed. And, um, and so if you want to uh, do this kind of deeper concentration work, it really helps if you cultivate as a lot of relaxation uh, while you stay upright and alert. Because you don't want to be, a, you know, just be a puddle. Um, but, you know, relaxed in the mind, relaxed in the body. And this is particularly important because sometimes as we do this uh, concentration work, um, it, ha- it seems to have a kind of... Um, um, it has some, you know, some odd symptoms can happen. And some of the odd symptoms is are um, there can be a vibration and tension that builds up in certain areas, sometimes around the forehead, sometimes uh, around the, the, the mouth. The my- mouth can feel like it's puckering up or there's, a, or there's kind of like a... I don't know. Sometimes it feels like a, um, a joker smile, <laughs> smiling kind of intensely, or um, or uh, you know, different kind of energies that can move. And those energies that start moving and the strange symptoms that might happen, uh, they can get unhealthily, unhelpfully intensified if we're not relaxed. And sometimes they, people get a little trouble; they get too intense. But if you stay relaxed, and this idea of pervading the whole body, so the whole body's relaxed, the whole body's pervading, makes it a lot easier for, um, for the things to not go a little bit awry because you're getting balanced. So don't be greedy for this. Don't have high expectation for this. But one of the things, you know, you should, but it's good to know about this because there are times we drop into it accidentally. Sometimes we're in the territory. Sometimes we feel like we're going into it and you're familiar with it now. You maybe won't get so afraid or so concerned. But also, um, one of the things I hope, and I'll end now, one of the things I hope is that, um, that uh, this is inspiring for you. It's really amazing uh, organ we have, our mind, and what the mind is capable of doing. And, um, and we use, you know, as people say, you know, it's a very small part of the mind. And we use only a small r- uh, range of the repertoire of states of mind that we can experience. And these are some of the most beautiful, profound, pure, good states, wholesome states that a person can experience. If you really want to feel goodness, real goodness, real wholesomeness. These states really are there. And that we have this capacity for that. And these states are so healing and so beneficial that um, not to be greedy for it, but to be inspired in such a way that you stay interested in focusing on your breath.
more interested in your breath than you are in being in orbit or in space with your thoughts. And, and, and if you could really disinvest yourself from what's out in space and invest yourself in really entering into the world of your breathing and trust it, stay with it, love it, open to it, drop into it, sooner or later, you'll probably start discovering this whole new world that opens up of these wonderful, um, these wonderful ordinary states. (coughs) And maybe you'll have less to do with the usual altered state that you walk around in. (laughs) So, thank you. And uh, I hope this was clear enough or maybe a little inspiring like I hoped. And then we'll come back next week for our last class in concentration. Thank you. <laughs>